Welcome to the Job Shop Show, where we talk with the owners, suppliers, partners, and customers of custom manufacturers. Listen and learn the secrets of top-performing job shops, the tools, techniques, and backgrounds that have made them successful, all in the quest of raising the bar for custom manufacturing. I'm your host, Jay Jacobs. Shazam! This is Jay Jacobs. Welcome to the Job Shop Show. Special episode today. IMTS was a couple weeks ago, and our very own Jeff Gorman made the trek to Chicago. IMTS hadn't been held since 2019, and the show was hopping. I was interested in Jeff's takeaways, so this episode is devoted to IMTS. What Jeff gleaned from his participation there. What he saw. Some cool new products he saw while walking the show. Why IMTS is an important show. And What were some common questions he was asked while working the booth? If you didn't attend this year, or perhaps never have, listen to understand why it is worth your time to go. Let's roll. Jeff, you're back from Chicago. That is correct. I got back from Chicago. It was actually Saturday morning. I was about to say late Friday night, but I think it was 1230 a.m. when I got in the door finally. And you were at IMTS. Finally, IMTS is back. Yeah. First time, you know, attending IMTS or actually any trade show for that matter. And, and oh, we'll, I didn't know that. Yeah. Also Paperless Parts' first exhibit at IMTS. So it's the first time we've had a booth out there. I think in total, we sent 10 or 12 different people at, you know, we, we kind of did a staggered team where we had some folks there for the first half of the week and then some folks there for the back half of the week. Mm-hmm. So. And you were out there Thursday, Friday? Thursday, Friday. Yeah, I, I got to Chicago Wednesday afternoon, you know, popped around for a little bit and then at the trade show all day, Thursday and Friday. Let me start with, did you get a chance to walk the show? I did. I think you'd need a whole day or two oh. to walk the entire show. Yeah. Anybody who's um, ever been there, it's it's a couple days unless you're speed walking by every booth. <laughs> It yeah, is huge. Exactly. Driving for that matter. I mean, the facility is massive. I think I probably saw in total like 20% of the facility. And I would have liked to walk around a little bit more and, and kind of see what the show had to offer. But I did get to see, you know, some cool things and and people were pointing me in, in the right direction, I guess, in, in terms of where to go first. So what caught your eye? Well, there's a couple things. So first, I guess the thing that stood out most were the robotics that you know, we're on display mm. at IMTS. So you had all sorts of different, you know, equipment and robotics, uh, either for the purpose of moving stuff around, you know, parts, blanks from in and out of the machine, et cetera, those types of mechanical arms. Mm-hmm. Then there were also like robot robots where they kind of resemble the human being. Um, so there was this one robot, I forget the name of the company, but they had a robot with a serving tray driving around with drinks on. <laughs> Um, and the robot was wearing a t-shirt. So I saw that thing from a mile away and went right up to it and had to watch it kind of move around a little bit. I've never seen anything like that with my own two eyes. I've seen the Boston Dynamics dog, you know, on YouTube, yeah. Facebook or whatever, which the, they were in attendance. Boston Dynamics was there and the dog was popping around the show. <laughs> but really cool to to kind of see that thing move around. And you know, I don't know if the tech's necessarily there yet for very useful applications at scale. Yeah. What did they say the applications were or did they? I asked a couple of questions. I was wondering, you know, it was an international company. So I was wondering like, is this being used outside of the U S where I haven't, you know, I haven't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. And they said, 
you know, yes, but but not at scale. So the problem with the robotics, I guess, is the the strength at this time. So they don't yet have kind of enough strength for these robots to be able to you know, move things for the purpose of industry. Mm. But what they told me was that the, you know, the robot with the drink display was actually being used in some restaurants in Asia. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have like a kiosk at your table where maybe you order a drink and then, you know, that drink gets rolled out to you on a robot with a tray. Mm. They said the reason that that's kind of the, the first adoption of the tech is so they can kind of dial in the mechanics of everything and Mm -hmm. hoping that, you know, while they're dialing in mechanics, something comes around that helps with the strength of the robot, you know, think of a a robot holding its arm out with a drink, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, holding something heavier for the purpose of of industry or manufacturing. So think a piece of metal obviously weighs a lot more than a cup of water. Right. um, You know, it, it seemed like they had pretty good technology there that will have a use in the future, but it's just not there yet. But regardless, still super cool to see a robot, you know, that that's what you talk about as like a kid and mm-hmm. we're not real yet, but we're, we're getting there. Pretty soon they'll be flying. Yeah. My folks have moved into a retirement community and we had dinner with them last week. They have a dining center and they had a robot deliver the food to the table. So you went up and you ordered and then the robot knew which table you were at and brought it over. You had to take the trays off of it, but it's another application. You think instead of food, maybe you have your stock room and you can deliver cutting tools or maybe you have a material crib and you have a robot who is delivering material probably works better for larger shops but those are the types of applications that and then and then you start to have them just as a shelves and material retrieval like amazon does it's it's the future and what a one of the cool things i was going to ask you and we're probably answering this question if i'm listening and i've thought about going to imts but i didn't go this year i've never gone why would I want to go? What makes it worth the time and the money to go out to Chicago? And and I mean, this is the granddaddy. I've been there and there is so much. But from your perspective, why would someone want to go? Well, first and foremost, I mean, who doesn't want to take a trip, right? Even work trips feel like a mini vacation most of the time, in my opinion. And you know, that means you're having fun while, while you're doing yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so first and foremost, you get to travel to Chicago, awesome city, mm-hmm. uh, Great, great nightlife, et cetera. Most of the people that were in attendance at IMTS were out and about the area afterwards. Mm-hmm. I saw, you know, people out at restaurants that I had demoed to that same day, which was pretty funny. Mm. Uh, second of all, and probably more importantly, it's a great networking opportunity. So you don't know who you're going to meet out there. You don't know who, you know, has premeditated the fact that they're going to come up to your booth and, and, you know, approach you with something or ask you something or pitch something to you. Mm. Uh, so it's a great networking opportunity. I got to meet with some potential partnerships for paperless parts. Um, you know, they, they were able to ask me questions about paperless and, and vice versa about their business. And that's, that sort of happened organically premeditated or not. And, you know, if we weren't at IMTS, we wouldn't have been able to have that kind of in-person 
you know, interaction and connection. So with, you know, people that I met at the show, we've got meetings already scheduled for in follow-up to, to talk more about. What and it it's more about. of a, more of a relationship because Zoom's one thing, but to actually shake someone's hand, to, to laugh with them face-to-face is not dead. Exactly. And on that, you know, you, you can calculate, I guess, the ROI of the trip, right? Um, so mm-hmm. you can say, you know, it costs this much. If we can acquire this many new customers and they're you know, going to pay us an average of this month, this much a month, you know, what do we have to accomplish there to make this investment worthwhile? If you want to mm-hmm. think of it, you know, from a finance perspective. So tons of people there. I think there's over a hundred thousand people in attendance. So if you can find a few customers while you're out there and kind of show them what, what your business has to offer and convince them that, you know, they, they should give you a try. Mm-hmm. Um, you can crunch the numbers and, and figure out, you know, what that would take. So it, I think it's pretty easy to justify going to IMTS. And- I think as a shop owner, what I liked about it was I saw things I had no idea existed. And if you were thinking about how you want to spend your money on capital equipment, on technology, even mundane things, there, there was a ultraviolet curing glue I remember seeing out there that I had no idea existed. And then I forget how you dissolved. It was pretty easy to dissolve. Things that you, you are awakened to possibilities and you may have seen this great new technology on videos, but to actually be able to touch it, feel it, to ask questions of somebody who is perhaps the application engineer who would install it in your facility. It's the element of surprise, which I, it's hard to put ROI on, but in my mind, that's actually where you get the biggest bang for the buck. Totally. And, and circling back actually to, you had asked what I found most interesting at IMTS. Yeah. Also, I found my way over to the additive wing of the show. And mm. so I, I don't have a, as much experience with additive manufacturing or as much of an understanding and awareness, I guess, of the capabilities as I do, um, you know, with subtractive manufacturing. It was really cool to see the displays that they had in that wing of the facility. A lot of cool printed parts. They had printers, you know, up and running mm-hmm. stuff during the show. I actually got to take away a couple of form labs sample parts that mm-hmm. you know, they had ready to go to hand out. Yep. They printed, you know, the same thing in several different materials. So you could experiment and kind of pick up and touch and bend the materials and see what the differences were. Mm. So I had no idea, I guess, at the sort of width of additive, like how, how variant it can get, you know, from material, yeah. material and, and kind of how detailed, you know, things are getting printed now is, is really cool. So that was also fascinating to me and, and something that I want to learn more about. I actually found myself on the plane research and additive manufacturing. So, ah, yeah, it's the future. You're, you're too young to remember the movie, the graduate, but Dustin Hoffman, and he's told plastics, plastics, young man. And back in whenever that came out, the seventies, I guess, plastics were nowhere used as much as they are today. We say additive today, 
in 2050, it's probably going to be a huge chunk of the way products are produced. We can't even envision it yet. It won't be additive. It will just be manufacturing. Yeah, that, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just plastics now, though. The, you know, they had metals metal, what is it, DMLS, direct metal laser mm -hmm. they had going at the show. And mm -hmm. that I actually ended up talking with someone on our geometry team about that yesterday. And he was saying he thinks that for EDM tooling purposes, additive is going to take over to help with the production of custom tooling for EDM blasting. So it, I found that just really interesting. So we're basically going to use a technology to make tools for a technology, which is. Well, that's uh, a lot of emphasis is put on the making of the actual end use parts. But what I think is perhaps a better application in terms of the maturity of the technology now is, as, as you described, a support tool in the making of the actual parts. And I know I've had different guests on the podcast who have 3D printers and use them in a variety of ways in that sense. Yeah. So pretty neat. It, it kind of opens your eyes, I guess, like you were saying to what's out there. And, and like you were saying, you don't know what you're going to stumble into when you're walking the, the aisles and passing the booths. I'll throw out one application today, which if you are making any sort of complex machine part, you should have a 3D printer. And it doesn't have to be to scale, but print out for the programmer a 3D model of what he actually has to make carve out of metal. Perhaps not as useful for sheet metal, but for machining, it is so useful to put that 3D object. I I remember I did this for my programmers and you would sit there, they, they've got the mouse in their right hand and they've got the part in their left hand and they're looking at it and they're going back to the screen. They're, it was so helpful, save time, less mistakes, better visualization of setups rather than going down a path sort of you're committed to in the programming and being stuck there, it's not the most efficient, but it would have been less efficient to start all over. Whereas if you had that knowledge, that visualization up front, you could have taken the correct path. So our programmers loved it. And you, you meant that's kind of, as you were talking, I was wondering, well, what are they going to do with the printed model, you know, to help them, I guess, cut the part out, mm -hmm. I was, you know, I'll probably experiment with like the different setups that they're thinking they're going to take. And you could probably print the part in various different stages of the process or sure. require some engineering. Yeah. But. Well, and I know a lot of our customers aren't machining castings, but if you are, it is super helpful to have the machine part and then the cast part as well. And you can see, and you can, if you've got a color printer, you can print out which surfaces are machined, which ones are left cast. There's, I know in injection molding, it's really helpful to visualize the parting line if you're making a plastic part as a tooling engineer. So lots of applications. Well, let me ask you, you didn't spend a lot of time, enough time walking around. You were in the paperless parts booth there. What were you doing in the booth? Really just giving demonstrations of paperless parts, talking about the product. You know, I, I wasn't just stepping up to the plate and saying, here's paperless did kind of like a, a mini discovery with each group that came to the booth and, you know, I asked them a few questions about their shop, their quoting process. And mm -hmm. I, we were literally asking, how would you rate your quoting process? You know, one to 10, 
most times people were saying less than five, which I found very fascinating. Well, why would they say that? Where, what did they say or the hiccups or the reasons that they wouldn't be a 10? Not standardized, not organized, not repeatable, takes too much time. You know, it's, it's messy. I'm the only guy doing it and I have a million other things to do. That that was a, a common trend that I heard. Um, mm-hmm. Some, I'll, I'll never forget this one guy. I said, what does your coding process look like? He put his finger in his mouth and then put it up in the air like he was testing the wind. He said, that's my quoting process. So wow. he is guessing is what he said. He was joking around more, but, you know. And what, <laughs> what do you think that the reason they stopped by the paperless booth, what do you think that interests them in, obviously they know that, this is estimating software. What do you think they're trying to achieve then with estimating software that would take them to the booth and want to see a demo? Trying to find a better way. So, I mean, aside from the bright orange booth and the big screens that said, quote, faster, I think the data that we have, and like I was saying, most people rated their own quoting process on, you know, less than 50%. And who wouldn't want to do something better than, than they're already doing it today, especially such a crucial part of your business as a manufacturing. I mean, it all starts with the quote. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's hard to say, Oh, I don't need that. Or I, you know, I, I don't have an interest in that. If you're a manufacturer, you, you better damn be interested in quoting, right? I, I would assume so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so. So, so you're walking people through a demo. What is uh, obviously we're using words here, not images on a screen, but maybe you could paint a picture of what walking through a demo looks like. And then I have a follow-on question. Yeah, sure. So typically, you know, I'll kind of adjust the trajectory of the demo based on the mini discovery that went on, but the types of discovery questions I were asking are like, how do you receive quotes? You know, how long do they typically take you to turn around What are the biggest pain points with that process? So most people receive quotes via email. Some shops have some sort of web form on their website that maybe isn't as highly adopted by their customers as they would like. Other shops are forced to navigate, you know, those icky portals that are tough to work with, you know, where they have to go pull down bids and then work on them that way. But in essence, most people receive quotes to an email, whether they have a centralized inbox or it's estimators, individual inboxes. And Mm -hmm. what folks were saying. So typically the personnel, you know, at IMTS or or part of the group would be in a leadership position or more, you know, have some oversight over the organization that they're representing. And a lot of people were saying, I don't really have great insight into like what my backlog looks like. I can't see into all my estimators inboxes or, and if I do, you know, it's a. You're talking backlog of quotes to get out. Right. And Uh. there's no way to kind of audit where everybody's at with their work when it's going in directly mm. into people's e- email inboxes. It's hard to pull data on that. Yep. It's hard to yeah. jump in and help it where there's bottlenecks, you know, yeah. it's held up. So a lot of like oversight, I guess, you know, that, that came up as a topic where folks want to have greater oversight into their, their quoting line. Mm-hmm. So what I did for the demonstration was. Let I, me, let me stop you there. So if I'm a manager and I don't know how many estimators I have who are quoting, you're talking oversight. So what does oversight mean? Is there a way as a manager, is it through reports or can I go into the quote backlog? Can I 
see who quotes are assigned to, maybe change assignments. How does that, I guess that gets into workflow, but how does all that work from an oversight and how, obviously, if you have RFQs that are sent to an individual's email, then those disappear. There's no way you're going to have any oversight there. But what what do we do at Paperless that gives you a better mechanism to keep track of what's going on? Yeah, it's it's the quote queue. So the first part of the demo that you know I got into was how do you get a request for quote once you have paperless parts? What does that look mm-hmm. like? Where does it go? Where does it end up? So I demonstrated our smart RFQ form, which is you know a, an iframe, basically an ITAR compliant iframe that you can hand to your customers and say, here, here's a really easy way for you to submit a request to me. And it also allows me to, you know, turn it back to you much faster. I'm- I'm going to take your technical iframe language and basically say you can create a page on your website where a customer can submit a quote that automatically feeds into the paperless software. Exactly. So <laughs> basically what that does is funnels all your requests into a centralized queue. Mm-hmm. So now you've got you know a big, essentially whiteboard in your paperless parts account of all your quotes that you need to get started on. Maybe some of those have already been started and they're in progress, but they're still, they need to get sent back to the customer. So paperless will allow you to kind of scan that queue and say, you know, which accounts are requesting quotes from us right now? Which estimator have I assigned or is already assigned? Can you sort, say, by account, by estimator or any other field you want? Yeah, sort by account, estimator, due date, you know, mm. request different due dates. So you probably want to prioritize the ones that will do. That's a, that's a great point because if you are using email, your inbox is your way to manage it, then there's no way to sort by due date or know which ones are being asked to be returned faster. Whereas what I'm hearing is there is a field requested RFQ due date, and that can be filled out or maybe is filled out somewhere along this process. Correct. The buyer can establish a due date or requested delivery date for the quote. And you could have your own internal processes that if it doesn't have one, we want to turn quotes around in 24 hours. So you're putting a due date on it or maybe 48 hours or even whatever the time frame. But you in my mind, every RFQ should have a due date so that you can manage it so it doesn't get lost. Absolutely. And, you know, email does that backwards, right? The, right. the old, you know, as you get more emails in, the older ones or, you know, the ones that have been outstanding longer get lower and lower on the list. And then eventually they're <laughs> on the second page and you never see them again. So, yeah. And then you get around to quoting it and the guy's like, oh, I already got my parts in house. Yeah. So, couple things you can filter on the due date, you know, you can take a look at kind of what the workload across each of your estimators and all of your estimators is. We also have a priority tool in paperless. So you can assign mm-hmm. priority levels to a quote, mm-hmm. and then you can, you know, order them in that way, sending, mm-hmm. sending accordingly. But it, it goes a layer deeper, this quote queue that I'm talking about. So, you know, think about draft quotes, basically something that we've not completed yet. As estimators are working through each of those quotes, they can kind of keep track of where they're at with each line item on the quote. So let's say a quote has 10 line items and the estimator, you know, has to send material RFQs, outside service RFQs. They have to, you know, cycle time review, et cetera. He can keep track 
of where each part is at in that sort of order mm. of operations to until the quote's completed. Mm-hmm. And that's going to spit back to that whiteboard I'm talking about and let you know how far along each quote in draft is and exactly where in the process, you know, it's stopped at. And as, you know, someone in leadership or maybe you have a specific person that's kind of like a float guy that goes and helps with each of these quotes that are held up mm-hmm. to take a look and say, okay, you know, this quote's 30% done. What do I need to do to help move it along and get it out the door? So you can see you know, what's being worked on, what needs to be worked on. And then as things get completed, maybe as the estimating team lead, your job is to go and review those complete quotes. You don't need someone to tell you or an email it to you and mm-hmm. say, to review click right into it, review it, finalize, send it out. So and the reviewer could be you, the owner, because anything over X amount of dollars you want your eyes on before it goes out. Exactly. I'm thinking also, you look at your queue and you go, all right, am I going home for dinner tonight or is it Uber Eats again? (laughs) So you mentioned reporting as well. And when you think about oversight, if you're in charge of a team, you're going to want to know you know, who's, who's working most quickly, who maybe needs some help to work faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're able to generate reports basically off all that information. So how quickly does so-and-so turn around quotes on average? What does his win rate look like? Um, mm-hmm. You know, how many line items does my team do in a week? How many line items does each person do in a week? And having that data is, is pretty powerful and also allows you to set goals to improve. So if your draft ascent time is not as quick as you'd like it, meaning you're not turning around quotes at the rate you would like, you can say, hey, team, here's where we're at. You know, we've got to do better and set some, you know, put a plan in place to do better. And then you can validate that that's the case. And you can also be sure that, you know, the the results you wanted, which were probably an increased win rate, you know, happened as well. Yeah, you got to be careful about the increased win rate, because if you don't manage it correctly, then people are quoting fast not being as accurate and yeah, we're winning more parts, but we don't so have the margin. If you don't have want. paperless. Maybe that's the case. <laughs> uh, yeah. Interesting. So back to the demo flow though. Yeah. Um, in essence, what was probably common across all the demonstrations was, okay, how does a quote get into paperless parts and how is that way easier than and better than going through your individual emails Mm-hmm. How do you go through the process of completing these quotes and what kind of supplemental features does paperless have to support that process? And then how do you get this back out to the buyer and what's their experience look like? Mm-hmm. So showing our digital quote to folks at IMTS, like every single time people's jaws drop, they're like, oh, wow, that's neat. So I showed, you know, our digital quote goes out to the buyer. It's got each line item laid out very clearly. We've even mm-hmm. got a part viewer embedded in the quote that gets sent out via email. So the customer can spin their part around, look at it, you know, see the dimensions, bounding box, et cetera, volume, all that good stuff. And then they can see each of the quantity breaks you offer them, respective price, click a button and say, I want this, I want that, I want that, and submit that back to you alongside their purchase order and place an order with you. Do we have the ability to know if they've opened the quote how many times they've opened it, when, you know, the date stamp, date time stamp on it. And even if they've forwarded it to someone else, is that tracked by our software? hundred percent. I was thinking as a owner or manager, I'd love to know that information. So 
So we talked about draft quotes. When you, you know, send a quote out to a customer, it's now outstanding and you're either going to you know, win that job or part of it, lose it, or it might expire if you're only making the quote valid for this long. We make it easy to kind of keep track of quotes as they move through those categories. So when you send a quote out, it's going to file right into your outstanding quotes library. So you go say, I got 40 quotes outstanding. And as someone in sales or an owner is going to want to try to follow up and, and close as many of those deals for lack of a better term as possible. So our digital quote, we've got some stuff embedded in there that will detect when someone views that page. Um, so opens the email that you sent with the quote attached. And we'll also tell you how many unique viewers there were for that quote. So are they passing this around their shop to mm-hmm. uh, around their business and to get input from other people? How many are they viewing this day after day or two days in a row and you know maybe interested or comparing it to another quote? Mm-hmm. So you can set up, you know, I want to get notified when someone views a quote. And then you can just click a button and say, I want to follow up on that quote. And you can engage one of many different email templates for mm-hmm. the purpose of the follow-up. You might follow up, you know, with different customers in different ways or different time intervals, et cetera. So you can make that real quick and easy. And you can also take it a step further. Maybe you don't want to follow up on a quote that you sent today or yesterday, but you can say, show me all my outstanding quotes, you know, beyond three days. And then I'm going to go follow up on all. So if I'm using Outlook, is that how the email sent? It's sent out of, out of paperless. It comes from your email address, but you don't have to open your email inbox. You just push a button and we kind of send it on your behalf through Amazon AWS. Gotcha. Do we have the ability to delay a send? Because I, that'd be super helpful if I, like you said, I didn't want to send a follow-up today, but I didn't want to look at it tomorrow. I want to schedule sends out in the future. That's great feedback in disguise. We don't yet have a scheduled send functionality or some sort of automation around follow-ups, which might even be a little bit better. Like you could set parameters for automatic follow-up and say, you know, once a quote is outstanding for three days, send yeah. this, you know, resend it. Salesforce, that's what they're known for is they automate a lot of these types of things. I'll throw out my two cents. One of the things that I think is super important is that every quote be followed up and you try to get a response from a customer and keep track of why you lose jobs. Say the wins are pretty obvious. And one of the reasons is, is, First of all, you want to know if that's a good customer to keep quoting it or not. The other is why, if your prices are too high or your lead times are too long, that you may or may not want to react to that information, but you have that information. And part of the other though is it is so much easier to upsell to somebody who knows you than trying to get a new customer, new prospect to quote you. And I always viewed these as a sales opportunity. And with the estimators, I had templates of lines, I'll say sales lines, for lack of better words, that they could say, did you know that we also do this? And the most obvious was if we quoted a machine part, say, do you know we also do sheet metal parts? And it was amazing how many times people did not know the capabilities that 
we had that we thought were so obvious that everybody knows what we do. It's not true. So maybe you're a shop and you have some wire EDM. People don't know you do wire EDM or plunge EDM. Pick, pick your capability, but it's a way to get the message out and to someone who's really receptive to probably receiving it as opposed to trying to cold call somebody who's trying to get you off the phone or, or more likely is not picking up. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I mean, there's also you want to collect you know, back to the you know, reason for loss or you know no no bid or no purchase, but from the customer, you want to collect that data somehow. And we also enable that in paperless parts. So you can yes. come back to your loss quote, you can mark it up, leave a reason for loss, and then report on that through our analytics tool. So you can kind of tableize all your loss quotes, you know, alongside the reasons and then from there, you can make a decision. What else as part of the nonstop demos that you did on the floor? Other themes that were present? Yeah, folks were really fascinated by our part viewer and the geometric feedback that we provide through that tool. Hmm. So you know, shops don't typically have something that's helping them do this today. So it's a new, it's a new idea, a new concept that they see. And it, it's definitely intriguing when you load a model into paperless parts and see all the feedback that we spit back, you know, designed for manufacturability warnings, mm -hmm. we call out all the different features that you're going to have to machine or fabricate, depending on if we're looking at sheet metal or, or machine part. But, you know, people were, were floored by that. They, you know, it, it's the type of stuff that an estimator is going to think about when he looks at a part and we're just spitting it out in one second and putting it right in front of the user's face. So think about enabling others to quote or getting a more junior person involved or just making less mistakes and kind of catching things up front the first time. People are seeing that that's, you know, possible with the tool that we're providing there. And then when we take it a step further and show them how that can interact with their pricing formulas in paperless, I think it just instantly there's a connection like, wow, okay, this makes sense. And that's really what I was finding and kind of most excited about in demoing to so many different people where they were kind of making the connection and sort of seeing the vision around you know, what, what we're trying to help with here and how it was pretty neat. You know, everybody had their own unique questions or, you know, maybe poking a pin in the balloon, if you will, but it was all, all in good fun. So it was cool to see people's reactions and then also see their feedback in regards to what, what we were showing them. Yeah. Any other takeaways from IMTS? Definitely wear comfortable shoes. <laughs> at least in my case, we didn't have any stools or seats at our booth. So you're on your feet from, you know, eight o'clock to five o'clock. And then you're probably going and walking around Chicago for another couple hours after that. Yeah. Um, so de definitely wear good shoes hydrate accordingly and bring some snacks if you're working a booth. <laughs> no, those are all good insights because particularly if you are looking to eat in a more healthy sense, you want to prepare because the food at the shows, it's plentiful, but it's you're going to get a lot of grease along the way. Deep dish pizza isn't healthy. <laughs> maybe you can, maybe if you're in your 20s, you can pull it off every day. I sure can't. I, it was a great event. I view it as a privilege to be able to attend that. And I, I hope to be kind of called up to go next year when we run it again. So I had some other things I wanted to ask you, but 
I think we will put those off until next time, but I will leave with a little bit of a teaser because I put up a post this week where I talked about how you can use acquisitions of small shops, owners who are probably in their 60s or even 70s who've had enough and they they want to they want to get out and thinking about that if you are a shop who's using paperless and you've got someone who's who knows how they're they're estimating today how do you integrate that into your own shop after you have made that acquisition so that's something maybe next time jeff we can get into Absolutely. We could talk for forever on that. I mean, it's definitely kind of a hot topic, I guess, in today's day and age with what's going on, you know, with businesses kind of combining with one another. Yeah. Uh, that seems, I don't know if this has been going on for decades or if this is something. It's, yeah, it's always going on. But I think with the the acceleration of the eight, up the age curve of baby boomers, it's happening more and more frequently. 100%. So sounds like we got a good topic for next week. Be looking forward to chatting on that. All right. Have a great rest of your day, Jeff. Good to you see you. Well. Thanks for having me, Jay. And listeners, what are you going to do? Keep those spindles turning and those lasers cutting. Have a fantastic day. Thanks for listening to the Job Shop Show podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. You can also leave an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Not only do I read every single one, it also helps me understand what content matters most to you. Thanks again for listening to The Job Shop Show.